I think this is a Netflix movie in the making. <laughs> what would the title be, Lily? La Portada Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. I'm not amazingly intelligent, but I'm not a stupid person. Your English is so good. Every time you think, well, this couldn't get any more bizarre and there couldn't be a, a weirder news story, they managed to excel themselves. <gasps> Was that Juan Carlos? Invita a Simon a una pinta de Guinness. I think we've sufficiently lowered the tone. Please <laughs> haven't found the wine. It's because you're better looking than me. ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá! Okay, hello, welcome to La Portada. My name is Lily Mayers and the seasoned giri across the table from me is my co-host Simon Hunter. We're here to drown out the noise and give you the key news from this week so you can experience Spain at a deeper level. On today's La Portada, we'll be looking at why Spain's interior minister is under fire, why doctors across Spain are walking out of work, and we speak to the head of an acting troupe, the Madrid Players. But before we get into this week's episode, Simon, how are you going? I'm very well, and I have spent all week laughing at this joke, which I'm going to play for you now, okay. uh, and see what you think. It's a joke in Spanish, but see what you think. I can't drink wine for the problem I have with my legs, but well. Her legs open when she's drunk. <laughs> Is that what she meant? You got it. It's, oh man, it's such a good joke. And let me play it to you guys. Yo no puedo tomar vino por el problema que tengo en las piernas, pero bueno. Sí, se me abren. That's cute. Very cute. So that went viral. Uh, that is Alba Carrillo. I don't know if you knew who that was. <laughs> no. uh, Lily. Model and TV presenter. Or, you know, she's one of these sort of, she's one of these people that you'll see on Salva Me, you know, one of these gossip programs in the mm. afternoon. And she was on a podcast and she did that joke. If, that, if, if you didn't get that in the Spanish, she was saying to the presenter, no, I, I can't drink wine because of a problem I've got with my legs. And he goes, oh, really, I'm so sorry. And, she's, and you can see it on her face. She's like, let me get to the punchline. Let me get to the punchline. He says, yes, they open. <laughs> Which is just a, Now, cute. she is in the news this week because she got caught kissing Jorge Perez. Do you know who Jorge Perez no, is? Sorry. Okay, so this is another D-list celebrity. I'm starting right at the sort of, you know, I'm starting on a very kind of... Um, you know, in a very Gutter high level. brow. Yeah, exactly. As now, usual, I mean, we don't get very far, do we? In no, before podcast? we go into the gutter. Now, Jorge Perez is very famous. But he he is, you know, talk about famous for being famous. He's famous because he's a civil guard. And mm. there was this picture of him in his uniform that went viral because, I mean, look at him. Oh, yeah. Quite. <laughs> See why that went viral. You should see him with his shirt off, Lily. It oh, gets it gets please. even better. But he's married. He's got loads of children, and he got uh, caught on camera kissing Alba Carrillo, uh, or she was kissing him. I would say at uh, this um, TV Christmas party. So that has been the news this week. It's it's nice to bring the listeners a bit of gossip news, real culture. Know. Yeah, exactly. Rather than the hardcore. Exactly. Yeah, she de oh, definitely had too much. Oh, vino. we know that she has a problem with that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So um, I've been, but I have been laughing at that clip all week we'll put it on our on our list of uh, on our tweet thread of uh, good stuff and also this week I have more news about Mariano Rajoy's football columns oh yes really. I've followed this yeah so if uh, you didn't catch our episode last week Mariano Rajoy former prime minister and the most Galician of all Galicians
Corinthians. <laughs> he is writing uh, what could be kindly called a football column after every Spain it's game. It's not really a column. It's just a series of par- paragraphs. Uh, and it's, it's just... A stream it's, of conscience is what it is. It's classic Rajoy. So it, here is the, the latest one after Spain uh, lost to Japan last night mm-hmm. on Thursday night, but still qualified thanks to Germany losing. It was so confusing, mm. that whole game. Uh, so here's Rajoy's latest column. It starts, of course, with... Germany is still Germany, even when they've been knocked out. So like the one that we looked at last week, high percentage of the words in the column are Germany again. Uh, Then he says, for now, we are in the last 16. And it is convenient to know where we are exactly. If we had been first in the group, who knows who we would have played against in the semi-finals. But in the last 16, we would have been drawn with Croatia and in the quarterfinals with Brazil. Now we must play Morocco in the last 16 and in the quarterfinals, almost certainly Portugal. Which is the easiest or the most difficult? Who knows? But that's the way things are. <laughs> but where's the editor? That's what I say. Ah, now this is the revelation. First of all, just I want to just say what that last phrase was in Spanish. Vaya usted a saber, pero las cosas como son. And it's just, this is just classic Rajoy. I'm really fond of Rajoy these days. Now, now that he's not prime minister. Uh, it turns out that he is dictating these columns yeah. via voice notes and then sends them in WhatsApp to the magazine that's publishing them. So that's why. It makes so much much sense exactly and you said that last week you know you're like reading these columns i can't help but be reminded of his speeches exactly. and it was like verbatim the kind of strange cyclical kind of sentences and that so that makes complete sense it's hilarious but why 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 isn't the editor cutting it down and trying to tell well, him like oh flesh that thought out it was almost an idea <laughs> because intentionally or not every week they're going viral <laughs> Oh, maybe. oh, right. So it's working. All right. As usual, let's say thanks to everyone who's supporting us on Patreon. If you're not already, I encourage you to head to patreon.com forward slash La Portada Pod, where yes. you can buy us a relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. Even if you just sign up for one month or make us a one-off donation, we will be eternally grateful. We need your support to keep the podcast going. Last week, those special listeners heard the best hilarious Spanish language mishaps we've heard and and we're still being flooded by examples. So following that theme, this week, Simon will be testing Connor and I on unusual Spanish phrases. For now, let's get into the week's news. Well, it's been a reoccurring story for us this year and with good cause. The ongoing fallout from the June 24th migrant rush at the Malia border in which 23 people died in an attempt by hundreds of migrants to break through the border fences between Morocco and Malia, one of Spain's enclaves in North Africa. Right now, Spain's prosecutors and ombudsman's office are independently looking into this tragedy to investigate if Spanish border authorities acted lawfully and whether deaths did occur on Spanish territory, as has been insisted by multiple reputable documentaries and reports covering the event. The ombudsman's initial report in October already said he didn't agree with the fact that the civil guard's response was at all times, quote, proportioned in keeping with the law and necessary, as they claimed. El País published a joint investigation on Tuesday in which a member of the Moroccan security force claims there was a death on Spanish soil. The report also claimed a minor was one of those many people pushed back to the Moroccan side once arriving on Spanish territory. 
The UN and the UNHCR all condemned the actions by security forces that day and have called for an explanation and greater transparency. All that, and yet, this week, Spain's Interior Minister, Fernando Grande Marlaska, has insisted that no deaths occurred on Spanish soil during the crush. The minister added no more information, and he wouldn't take questions from the media. Simon, how wise is it for Minister Marlaska to attach himself so indignantly to this line when evidence continually comes to light refuting it? It's very, very odd. I honestly can't explain what he's doing because all of this evidence is piling up. And then this week we saw him in the Congress uh, insisting that nothing tragic happened on Spanish soil. Como consecuencia de una respuesta proporcionada y vuelvo a repetir oportuna ante un hecho violento, no tuvimos que lamentar y lo reitero. And not only have we had the BBC documentary and the BBC investigation, but now we've got this other investigation which was put together by a series of uh, media outlets, including El País in Spain, uh, which again thrown into question the official narrative. By the way, interesting that the Spanish media has... Re- I wonder if they were reacting a little bit to that BBC documentary, because we said at the yeah. time when we talked about this last time, it's... It's a bit embarrassing. First of all, it's embarrassing um, for Spain uh, to have the BBC do a documentary like that. But also it's a bit embarrassing for the Spanish media. And what they've come up with is a little, um, it's actually a little documentary. It's about 17 minute documentaries. El País with Lighthouse Reports, Le Monde, De Spiegel and uh, Inas. Uh, so yeah, well worth a look if you haven't seen it already. So all the parties are now kind of ganging up against uh, Marlaska. I mean, he's always been at something of a controversial minister, but this time they've really gone for him. This week in um, Congress, there were calls for him to resign, accusations of him lying. He's only being supported by his own party, the Socialist Party or the PSOE, um, as they're known. Uh, even Unidas Podemos has abandoned him. Yeah. Um, and not surprisingly, because he just seems to be arguing against mm. all of the evidence that uh, we've seen already. He he has been and continues to focus on the violence of the immigrants, mm. and of course, it, I mean, it was it was a very violent assault on the border fence, um, but. You know that twenty. It's not just that twenty three, twenty four migrants died, mm. but there's sixty seven still unaccounted for, or something like that. He's really um, backing the civil guard. Uh, he's called them rigorous, calm, and professional. Um, and he's even insisted that the devoluciones in Caliente, which is when these migrants are just basically sent back across the border mm. from whence they came, which is uh, against uh, what's supposed to happen. Uh, they're supposed to be taken in um, once mm. they reach uh, Spanish soil. He's even insisting that this was done respecting the international human rights laws uh, and international protection. But of course, as you mentioned, Lily, the uh, El País investigation claims there was a minor in that group. So that obviously would suggest that that wasn't uh, what was happening. Um, He also was challenged with the fact that the refugees couldn't make an uh, asylum request. He argued that violently breaching a border structure is no way to get asylum. But there is no other Mm. access for asylum seekers as all the points to do that are on the Spanish side of the border fence so there is no way 
um, for these uh, would-be migrants to even uh, apply Q for Queue up at an office. It's just not an option. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and his counter-argument, in a way, has been quite clever. He's been attacking the PP, he's been attacking the right-wing um, parties for questioning the civil guard because, obviously, the right are very big champions of the security foxes. And I'm thinking, in particular of um, a party like Far Right Vox, uh, who, by the way, just outdid themselves in in being disgusting in this debate. Um, Javier Ortega Smith, one of the uh, Vox deputies in Congress, he actually said during his speech, and so if there were migrant deaths, so what? Which really just kind of shows the absolute desprecio that they have for... um, uh, for migrants, just absolutely no interest in the, the sort of human rights element uh, of it at all. And in terms of the this the video footage, I've seen two interesting things uh, about the actual. I'm not talking about the videos that emerged after the event that was shared by the NGOs, but the um, the actual official footage from the um, civil guard for at the border. The deputies, um, a, a group of deputies from Congress, were invited to go and watch the uh, entire. Um, footage that exists from that day which they did subsequently most of them came out saying yeah absolutely the the official narrative is is completely wrong Mm. Um, but uh, interestingly Marlaska has claimed that they didn't actually watch all of it they only watched a third uh, of the eight hours of that footage I'm not sure if that's true or not I've also read a report that suggests that some of the um, footage is missing uh, mm. you know the key moments but really I mean the longer this drags on the worse it is for the government um, it's very odd that Maralaska is just insisting on this uh, on this narrative because this isn't just a Spanish story this is an international story and even the uh, the European Parliament is uh, involved as well because mm. members of the European Parliament uh, are also on Maralaska's case because I mean this this happened within the Schengen border um, so it is a it is an issue for the European Parliament to look at too um I, mean, I don't know is this something to do can we connect it to the um bid by the pedro santos administration to improve relations with morocco i mean there's been you know there's long-standing diplomatic dispute between spain uh, and morocco over western sahara let's not forget it wasn't that long ago that morocco just let mm. about five thousand migrants through uh at the Theuta border that's the other um north african uh exclave city that uh that spain has and that was mm, to do with a diplomatic spat over um western sahara but you know since then relationship the relationship between the two countries has greatly improved uh so maybe this has something to do with that but then again let's not forget i mean that you know no one has minced their words about how the moroccan security forces behaved Mm. on that day it's really shocking to see how they beat the uh they beat the migrants as they had come over the fence but uh yeah who knows perhaps the attitude of malaska is rooted in the need to you know keep tensions with morocco at a minimum and, and and continue this uh this um you know current time that we've got of good relations but uh, yeah it should point out as well that one migrant this week did manage to cross the malia border without any problems using a paraglider yeah, <laughs> that. yeah i mean that's it's just it's so sad <laughs> well it just i mean again it just it shows how desperate these people are exactly yeah and uh, that's not an issue that's going to go away anyway anytime soon All 
right, well, let's move on to our second story, which is about the health strikes and protests that we're seeing across Spain. Primary healthcare doctors and paediatricians have been striking since November the 21st in Madrid over a lack of resources and unmanageable workloads. This comes on the back of a previous strike earlier in that month, which saw workers in emergency rooms down tools for 10 days after their chaotic post-pandemic reopening. Meanwhile, health workers in other regions such as Catalonia and Andalusia have also announced stoppages given the perilous state of Spain's public health system. And all this despite the regular claims that we heard during the pandemic that the country has one of the best health systems in the world. So Lily, what is going on here? Yeah, you're right, Simon. Doctors in Spain are once again telling the government and the public they're overstretched and desperately understaffed. During COVID, doctors were very vocal about how they were struggling with the workload, insufficient pay and poor conditions. Many said there were virtually no incentives for medical graduates to stay in Spain and work when other countries have such better conditions. Well, we're only, you know, a year and a year and a half later and we're in the same situation. Doctors say they should be seeing about 35 patients a day for 10 minutes each. But due to severe staff shortages, they're lucky when only 50 people come through the door. And on some days it reaches 80 patients a day, particularly during spike events of flu or COVID during winter. Apart from major exhaustion for doctors, what that means for patients is shorter appointment times and longer waiting times. In response to those tens of thousands of people marching through Madrid City and the doctors striking for days, the community's president, Isabel Diaz Ayuso, has announced a series of measures to try and help the primary health sector. They include creating a thousand new positions for family doctors and pediatricians during December, a new tech system for managing schedules that will allow more appointment times per patient to be offered, and salary improvements. That's a great start for Madrid, but Extremadura, Catalonia, Valencia and Andalusia are seriously struggling too. El País reports that there is a face-to-face delay time of more than 10 days on average. More than 800,000 Andalusians are on a waiting list and there are 12,000 professionals whose COVID contracts are due to expire at the end of December. That's in Andalusia alone. They held their first strike over the weekend and like other autonomous communities, they're calling for greater public spending on the primary health sector and less privatisation, which they say is corroding the public health system. So more protests are planned for January in other communities. Those regions are also hoping to force their health ministries to reach new agreements before then. And we want to hear from you. If you've spent ages waiting in an emergency room lately or you've been added to a month-long wait list to see a specialist, get in touch and share your story with us by email or voice message at laportada at gmail.com. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be it's a combination of cuts over the last decade and then, of course, the pandemic and now this kind of um, post-pandemic return to normal. It's quite interesting, uh, a regular... objection to you know the, the claims in Madrid anyway about underfunding is that people in richer areas of Madrid will say oh it's you know it's not hard to get a, a, an appointment uh, where I live uh, to which everyone always responds yes but that's good everyone around your way has got private health, yeah, insurance, right. health insurance yeah. and obviously with private health insurance you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff you know what's interesting also they say about uh, about the shortages is also it's like a baby boomer generation is starting to retire 
Yeah. And with young graduates not sticking around in Spain, there's a, a brain drain. Yeah. Know. No, that's right. There's a, there's a stat that I saw that 60% of family doctors in Madrid uh, are over the age of 50. And that means there's going to be a retirement crunch coming uh, in, in the future. I mean, you mentioned Isabel Diaz Ayuso there, uh, Lily, the regional premier of Madrid. I mean, she's very much enemy number one uh, in terms of the healthcare system in the region. Um, I mean, I was <laughs> look back to what she did in the pandemic and, mm. you know, her plan for the pandemic was to build, we're going to build a hospital. You know, she built this, uh, the uh, Thendal hospital in the midst of the pandemic, but I mean, it's been a complete disaster. Uh, and, you know, she built this hospital, which is, you know, was was slammed from day one because it was like a, it's like a warehouse. It's like an open plan yeah. uh, hospital, um, and now it's kind of falling into disuse. As seems to happen with so many of the PPs. And they um, didn't have the staff to fill it. I mean, no. the doctors were saying we're we're so stretched as it is. There's doctors seriously struggling with mental health and you know concern over, on top of COVID worries and now they've got to try and find the staff for that new hospital yeah and, and and at the same time you know doctors just continuing to suffer in some of the awful conditions in some of the healthcare centers in madrid i mean you know they complain that they're just like you know they're like storerooms they're in you know these these mm. rooms with no windows and no ventilation which is obviously you know thanks to what we all know about the pandemic now mm. uh is really not feeding the best. ground for infection absolutely uh yeah and those proposals that she came up with did not go down very well with the doctor so this is likely certainly likely to run and run in madrid in catalonia the doctors are saying they have to see 50 to 70 patients a day um so basically yeah it's, they're calling for more doctors more nurses but let's not forget we still have free universal health care in spain well, it's so not... it could be worse is <laughs> exactly. simon's slogan americans take note yeah but what is abundantly clear is that the regions because it, let's not forget healthcare systems run by the regions um they do need to get their act together and uh, improve funding for these systems Well, now to our interview this week. Simon, tell us who you've spoken to. It's more of a cultural excursion this week, isn't it? Yeah, this week I caught up with the president of the Madrid Players Theatre Company, Debbie Greenberg. Um, this company has been staging English language theatre in the Spanish capital for some 50 years. Yes. And this oh, Christmas, God. they're back with their first panto uh, after the pandemic. It is a panto called The Extraordinary Adventures of Pinocchio. Now, you'll be pleased to hear that I got the really obvious panto joke out of the way as soon as possible, so you won't have to wait long for it to come. <laughs> I'm sure that British people will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't know what a panto is, don't worry about it because we do go into a bit of an explanation because not everyone's going to know what it is. We also spoke about the venue where we met, which is the Americans, uh, the American Women's Club, uh, which was which was a... Uh, uh, an interesting part of the chat too it's a very noisy interview there was construction work going on in the background sirens my phone pinged at one point so sorry about that but despite the external interference we had a lovely chat so let's hear that now all right well i'm here with debbie Thank you very much for your time, Debbie. Thank you for inviting me here to talk to you. We'll talk a little bit later about where we are. I'm kind of fascinated by this <laughs> this venue. By this setting. Yeah. But first of all, let's talk about the Madrid players. Tell us a bit about the history, because as far as I understand, it's been going for 50 years. For, is that right? Yeah, for over 50 years. This wow. is an organization that has been doing English language theater in Madrid for over 50 years. It's a club. It's a nonprofit organization. 
Um, it's not a repertory company where you have the same group of actors, you know, doing different things each season that are, you know, that they decide in advance and that they go ahead and do. We do sort of more of a project-based process where somebody will come to us and say, we'd like to do this show. And the committee, which changes every year, the committee, which is a voluntary function, uh, looks at the proposal, uh, usually gives a green light, Mm. and then um, open auditions are held, the auditions are public, the shows are not precast. In order to perform in one of our shows, you do have to be a member mm. of the Uweep Club. But other than that, as I say, it's public, it's open, and it's been going for over 50 years now. Wow. Yeah. And, and what sort of shows do you usually choose? Is it quite a wide, wide range of material? It's a very wide range of material. Um, the, we've done everything from Shakespeare to... Variety shows which people bring different talents to, whether it be, be comedy, whether it be music. Um, myself, I've, I've seen Tartuffe done. I've seen more modern plays such as God of Carnage done. I've seen a tribute to Shakespeare. The one constant is actually what's coming up now, which is our annual panto. Yeah. Our annual Christmas panto. That is a constant. Mm. And the players have been doing that for, I don't know, probably close to 50 years as well. Oh, no, they haven't. <laughs> oh, yes, they have. <laughs> Sorry, there was no way I was going to get through an interview about that. Of course you were. Without, without that joke. <laughs> All right, and tell me about the... Because there's a, also, as far as I understand, it's not just, you know, you're not just looking strictly for native English-speaking actors. I mean, it's, it's open to everyone. Yes? Correct. So you have a mix. You have Spanish people coming Correct, we do. Well, yeah. We do. Mm. Um, and that's actually something that's really nice about the group. Um, a lot of the core and veteran members are British, uh, from the United States. Uh, perhaps we have a couple of South African members, you know, who've been in there for years and years and years. Irish, mm. a good presence, Irish, Scottish, you know, you name it. Um, however, it is true that we have a lot of people who participate in different ways, including performing in the plays, who are, who are Spanish mm. or, other, or from other places. I mean, in the last panto we did, which was three years ago... Um, in the adult chorus, we were from the United States, that's me. We have somebody who's a veteran member of the group, although he's young, who's half British and half Spanish. We had a Spanish woman, we had a French woman, and we had an Indonesian guy. Oh, wow. So it was great. It mm. was lovely, you know. And what about the audiences? Who do you usually attract to in terms of audience? I think there's a big mix. I don't want to just think about the panto in this case. I'll look in general. Our audience is here... I think there's a lot of English speakers who live in Spain who come, you know, who are native English speakers. But I think, and this has been like a growing trend in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, there's increasingly a large number of Spanish, hmm. you know, um, people in our audiences and from other European countries again, you know, mm -hmm. European or worldwide. But there are a lot of Spaniards who come. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, people who have enough level of English to be able to understand and enjoy whatever it is that we're putting on. Mm -hmm. For the panto, your English doesn't have to be, yeah. you know, you don't have to have a B2, a C1, a C2. No, for the mm -hmm. panto, you can understand a lot of what's going on even without that. Mm -hmm. But obviously, if we're putting on something like God of Carnage, or this year we did the play The Pillow Man, mm -hmm. which is a very modern, rather dark 
um, you have to have a better level. Mm, no, of course. Well, let's talk about Panto because, I mean, I, I, I'm, you're obviously American. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing for an American wouldn't necessarily know what a Panto is. It's Did a very British tradition. Did Can I know. ask you as an American <laughs> to describe what a Panto is? I don't know if you, you could come up with a, a pithy definition. I mean, our, our director of this Panto, who we're very excited to have because she's done a lot of professional directing in the UK, and this is her Madrid debut, as far as I understand it, Jackie Fisher. She described it on our Facebook page as a musical, a musical with shenanigans. <laughs> I and love so, that word. That's yeah, my favorite yeah. word. Oh, it's, it's a great word. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, for me, it was really, uh, I, I, I have to admit, I had never heard of it. When people mm. said a pantomime, I thought of a, a mime. Yes, yeah, of a course. mime, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. mute performance. And I thought, gee, that's odd. Yeah. Um, but I've learned quite a bit more in the course of the six... I've only been with the players for about six years. Yeah. And um, so a panto is a form of musical theater that includes a lot of comedy, stock characters, audience participation... Uh, a lot of jokes that are double entendres, yes. so the kids get them on one level, the adults get them yeah. on another. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's just a lot of slapstick. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you're asking me for my description. So I know. Sick, but, <laughs> you know, I, I should turn around and say to you, have I covered the bases? Well, no, that's you know? right. No, but I think it's interesting for, you know, someone for, uh, who's not British to, to explain what a, what a panto is. So this year you're doing Pinocchio? We are doing The Extraordinary Adventures of Pinocchio because, mm. as you know well, but I'll mention it just in case there are non-British people in your audience who don't, or Irish, or... Um, I mean, it's based on the traditional story of Pinocchio, but mm. the Pantos are certainly the ones we do here. They're usually original scripts. Yes. So, oh, so this people, is a, an original script? This is script. an original script. Oh, interesting. This is, oh, yes, yes. It's mm. written by somebody named Paul Flint, who's a longtime member of the Madrid Players, mm. has written other Pantos mm. for us. Um, and it's an original script, and that's what we do each year. We come up with an original script, mm. uh, which is submitted to the committee. We decide which one we want to do. And so it's based on the story of Pinocchio. Mm. So there are elements that are from the traditional story of Pinocchio, and there are elements that aren't. Mm. It's quite a happy coincidence as well, because um, there is a movie coming out yes. from uh, Guillermo del Toro, which is his version of Pinocchio, which is quite a nice coincidence. Was that just a coincidence? It's a complete coincidence, <laughs> because we decided, we decided that we wanted to do this script a couple of years ago. Oh, really? And oh, we haven't funny. been able to do Pantos because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, yeah. Oh, so this is the first one since the pandemic. This I is guess, the first yeah. one since the pandemic. Mm. Our last Panto was a version of Rumpelt Stiltskin mm. that we did in 2019. Did the company have any activity during the pandemic, or did you um, have to completely shut down? Well, we shut down as far as live performances, live in-person performances went. Mm. Um, um, the committee that brought us through that period did try to do some online stuff. So they had a couple of online variety type, you know, play readings, poetry readings uh, for anybody who wanted to tune in. They did that on Skype or Zoom. Um, and then last year, as we began to come out of it, we managed to do a staged reading mm. uh, of a play called Seven, which mm. is a very interesting play. And then we did at Christmas, we actually had sort of a Christmas variety show, oh, which nice. had a couple of Panto-esque elements, even mm. though it was a smaller, t- a smaller production mm. in a smaller venue. Yeah, this is the, this has been the year of getting back to normal, as we can hear from all the construction work going on, <laughs> going on around us, and That's the sirens it. and all. Whether the noise. you want to put on a play or, or rebuild a house, it, it's all the same. This is the time to do it. Well, so you're the president of the uh, of the Madrid Players, but yes. you also you have several other hats, and one of them is to do with where we are now. We are at the American Women's Club of Madrid. So, um, first of all, tell us what does the American Women's Club do, uh, Debbie, and, and what's your involvement here? Goodness. Um, 
Well, the American Women's Club of Madrid is also an organization that was founded over 50 years ago. Oh, wow. In fact, at one point in time, the Madrid players held their meetings here. Oh, really? So you, <laughs> yeah, li- you I, got I links. I, mm. I discovered this fairly recently. Mm. Um, I actually just work here. Right. I work here part-time. And this is an organization that was founded sort of back in the time when there were, you know, executives were always men and they were, you know, if they were sent abroad, such as to Spain, mm. to work, the wives came along and needed activity. <laughs> and so they set up, I know it's one of these organizations with a very traditional past, yeah. but they set up an organization that does uh, contribute to different charities and NGOs here in Madrid, local oh, ones. Um, so they have a lot of different activities for women. There are some where their husbands, if they have husbands or partners, do come along. Mm. But it's just a lot of, it's a social organization for people to be able to be engaged in different kinds of activities, be it Mm. museum visits, be it listening to speakers, be it playing bridge, be it playing mahjong, be it, Mm. you know, having a Christmas tea or Mm. a wine and tapas evening. And is it open open every day? Is it a place that people can just drop in or Uh, how how does it work? Members can drop in. Mm. Members can drop in. Non-members, no. No, no, of course. Um, We have a library downstairs. And yeah, it's open Monday to Friday. Mm. It's open Monday through Friday. I work here part-time, as I said, but there's somebody else who comes in and then has it open until half past five. And how many members are there? Here there are approximately 130 Mm. members, I think. And what's the profile? Is it it still the sort of, you know, the the wife of someone who's been sent here, or is it it more varied now? You know, it's funny. I've been in Spain for over 20 years this time, and there was a previous period where I was here for another six. Mm. Um, And that is not a long time compared to some of the members here. Mm. People have been here for, you know, maybe came uh, when they were studying or when they first mm. got married and have been here for 40 years. Wow. Have been here for, it's amazing. Mm. So, yes, there are a lot of somewhat older women, although there are also younger members. Mm. Um, but most of them now, by now, have made their lives here, be it yeah. professionally or on a family level. Mm. Excellent. All right. Well, then, it's all that's left to do, then, is for you to plug the panto. Tell us when it is and where it is and how people can get tickets. I am very happy to plug the panto. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Um, this year, we've actually changed venues. We've gone back to a venue that apparently was we used in 1984. Right. <laughs> but we haven't used it for the past 10 years or 15 years, for sure. Um, we're going to the Teatro de Elias Aguja. Mm. Over in over in Moncloa, when Ciudad Universitaria. Recently in the news. Recently in the news. <laughs> we, we covered oh that. Oh my po- gosh! Yes, I know you did. I heard. Podcast, I heard. Yeah. I heard your podcast on it. Um, uh, we're going to be in that theater. It's a gorgeous theater. Mm. I have to say, it's a gorgeous theater. We we felt lucky that we were able to reserve it. We reserved it back in the spring, and. Um, uh, so it's a beautiful theater, very modern, uh, lovely balcony, which is where most of the seats that are left are available. Mm. Um, we will be there December 9th, 10th, and 11th. On the Saturday and Sunday, there are two performances each day. There's a matinee and mm-hmm. there's an evening performance. Although on Sunday, the performances are actually 12 and 4. Mm. So, you know, we finish up and we have to pack up and get out of there. But um, tickets are available on our website which is madridplayers.es mm-hmm. and you know there's a link there to our ticketing page it includes i mean it's just going to be amazing because it includes live music so there's a band at this panto mm. Um, about 80% of tickets have already been sold. There was a huge rush at the beginning. We were so pleased to see how many people had been waiting for the Panto to be back. Oh, that's nice. And yeah, yeah, it was great. And at this point, about 80% have been sold, but there are still some decent seats, especially upstairs. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be so much fun. It's Fantastic. good for adults. It's good for kids. It's good to come out to give the, start the season off with a bang. Definitely. Again, madridplayers.s, or you can find the Madrid Players on Facebook, Instagram, and the information for ticketing is on there. 
And next year, what's going to be the next project after the... For the moment after the panto, in the spring, in either late March, early April, we're going to be putting on a play by Yasmin Reza called Art, mm. which is a three-person... Three, yeah, yeah, it's Again, yeah. it's a much different kind of production. It's mm. a much more modern play. It's only three actors, um, three very good actors. It's been cast already, and we're, we're excited about that, too. Excellent. Yeah. Well, best of luck with the panto. Thank and, you. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, uh, upcoming shows. I do. Hope you can come. Absolutely. Really, hope you can come. You'll enjoy them. All right, so Lily, you're going to be rushing to go. Can you go and see the Pinocchio play? You're going to be here. Yes, I can. Yeah, well, get down there. You, you, I, I can't go unfortunately because I'm going to England to go to the pub. I've got to say, pantomime isn't my favourite. I've got like childhood <laughs> horror stories. Oh yes, my it dad is. is an actor and forced us to do all kinds of things like that. Um, so I don't love it. It's just cringe. I find it cringy. Like, oh, I love it, man. No, you got to love a good panto. And also, they mentioned we were talking about the Teatro Elias Aucha. If uh, yeah. anyone didn't get that residence, <laughs> that? that's, that's the halls of residence that we were talking about a couple of episodes. Ago with it, which had the sexist chance. Which, right. by the way, the ringleader of those sexist chants was initially expelled from the halls. He's been quietly, well, quietly. quietly it was in the press. In. He has been, yeah, he has been. Uh, I thought you were going to say, as part of his punishment, he's in the pantomime. No, <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I mean, I, yeah, I it was just, really nice. I, yeah, and I just really love. I mean, this the uh, British Spanish Society, which I mentioned last week, and the Americans Women Women's Club. I, I re- just really like finding out about these organisations because they're sort of a a meeting place for different cultures. Uh, it is know. so nice and really nice for English speakers to have a theatre space in Madrid. Yeah. I mean, it may sound selfish, but, um, you know, we've all been to Spanish-speaking plays and not 100% known what's happening because of the language difficulties and also good for those learning English too, especially with pantomime. I mean, you could listen to it with noise-cancelling headphones on and still understand the jokes. Absolutely. You? No, I'm, deter- I'm determined to join the Madrid players. After all oh, these- I used to do amateur really? dramatics when I was a kid, yeah, musicals and stuff. And I kind of want to get back to it. It's amazing how you get older and the things that you're into, they never really go away. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know around. what you mean. It's so so watch this space. The next thing will be me up on the stage. And I was impressed by your uh, theatre knowledge when she said next year they're playing the, the show oh, art. art. And you were like, yes, yes, the three-part. Yeah, you know, the three-hand, yeah. No, but that was that was a really big show when I was probably a teenager in London. That was oh, that very ran impressive. Around, yeah. I could see you, I could see you on stage bouncing <laughs> around. Oh, just a massive attention seeker. <laughs> yeah. For Media Watch this week, I wanted to check in with Simon, who, as we know from last episode, has the inside scoop on what's coming on the Karina and the King podcast. Mm. So Simon, what have we got to look forward to next yeah, not, week? Not just the podcast. There might be something. I've got, I've got wind of something might be coming next week uh, to do with this whole affair, but I can't say anything Jeez. more about that at the moment. Yeah, Wait, can let's... I guess? Is it going to be? Is there going to be a legal fallout? Mm, Ooh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, Karina and the King, which is this podcast, which is now on its sixth episode. The sixth episode is coming out on Monday. I, once again, have had advanced access in it. Oh, my goodness. It just gets better and better. So, this time in this week's episode it is revealed and of course this is only Karina Larson's uh, word that we have for this Uh, Juan Carlos the former Spanish king is yet to pronounce a (laughs) single word about his affair or his relationship with should uh, be called Karina talking about the king (laughs) yeah about the businesswoman Uh, well she claims that he offered her the entirely fake title of Her Royal Highness the Princess of Bourbon if she married him so there was a second proposal oh my god 
we would already heard the first one uh, where he gave her oh. a, a, a diamond ring that was uh, rumoured to be worth about a million euros. But, I mean, Larson, she just brushed it off. She says, the whole thing was a fantasy. I didn't take it seriously. I took it as a man who was getting quite desperate. She also goes into some more detail about this notorious 65 million euro gift that Juan Carlos is reported to have given to her. Um, it was, he said, to compensate for the disruption to her life when news of their fair... Uh, when news of their affair broke in the Spanish press back in 2012. But Larson explains how she gradually realises that Juan Carlos, he wants something in return for this money. Not surprising, really. <laughs> don't just give someone 65 million euros and don't expect anything in return. So he wanted her to, you know, organise travel arrangements like cars and flights and things like that. Um, that seems like a pretty... Fair. I mean, yeah, it's but all she, bad. But she didn't really <laughs> want to do it. She uh-huh. felt like you know, sort of private travel agent. So she's in a in a lunch meeting. She explains how uh, she offered to give the money back. She said, "Okay, I'll give it back to you," but she stipulated, "No, we'll put it in a Spanish bank account." Uh, and that obviously means it would have to be declared tax. to the tax authorities. Yeah. And then she says, the king was just shaking his head, his head violently and was muttering to himself, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. no, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> to which she concludes that the entire operation was about hiding the true state of his wealth from the Spanish treasury and from the Spanish people. Oh. So no, you've got to go and oh, check out I this. juicier and juicier. You've got to go and check out this podcast if you haven't already. It really is. It's a, it's a pretty fascinating listen. Well, now there's nothing left to do but get straight into Simon's News Roundup. A series of six envelopes containing pyrotechnic material have been sent over the last week to high-profile targets, including Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez, the Ukrainian Embassy in Spain, the Defence Ministry and the US Embassy in Madrid. According to investigators, the packages contained small amounts of gunpowder that were designed to go up in flame rather than explode, along with metal balls designed to act as shrapnel. Only one of the devices actually activated, causing minor injuries to the hand of a member of staff in the Ukrainian embassy. For now, there are no theories as to the cause of the campaign, but it is thought that the envelopes were sent from Spanish territory. Police in Madrid made two grisly discoveries in an apartment this week, albeit on two different days. On Saturday, they found the body of a man who had hung himself in his bathroom after friends had reported he'd been missing since the previous Tuesday. But on Monday, the police were back in the same property, where they discovered the body of a 20-year-old prostitute behind a door that was locked with a padlock. The victim's name was Milena Sanchez Castro and is thought to have been beaten to death by her client before he took his own life. Officers located her after her boyfriend supplied them with the last known location of her cell phone. The police said that it is not normal practice to search a premises when a suicide is discovered. And finally, Mercadona, everyone's favourite Spanish supermarket, has been in the news this week after it launched a new product, a plastic-wrapped fried egg. The candidate for most unnecessary supermarket offering of the year is clearly designed for that person who says of their cooking skills, I don't even know how to fry an egg, especially given that it comes with useful instructions. Heat for 45 seconds in the microwave. 
Mercadona's ex caught the eye of many on social media, but it was Twitter user Elena Casado who perhaps summed it up best. We're all going to hell. Well, that's it from our second episode of La Portada Season 3. This episode was recorded in Madrid City on December the 2nd. Your hosts were me, Lily Mayers, and Simon Hunter. Don't forget to get in touch. Our socials are at La Portada Pod, and our email is laportadapod at gmail.com. You can tweet us directly at Simon in Madrid and at Lily Mayers. And please support us on Patreon. It only takes a second. We're only asking for the price of a relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. And your donations mean that we can continue with the podcast long term. Head to patreon.com forward slash La Portada Pod and sign up. You'll get the podcast on Fridays as soon as we've finished editing it. And you'll also enjoy bonus content. Last week, we looked at some hilarious linguistic mistakes we've made in another language. In fact, that episode was so great, we'll likely give it away to all our listeners as a Christmas gift. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego.